Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're if you're new, I also just want to welcome you. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor here, and uh, you're, we're in the middle of a series, we're just kind of talking, going through some stories through the Bible, kind of working our way through, kind of in you know taking big gaps and just kind of looking at some important stories that I think can kind of help us understand who God is a little bit better and and who we are. And as always, when I'm preaching, I'm thinking about things. I get reflective about my own life and. I was thinking about me in college um, this week, and I was part of this college ministry. And um, in the summers, there was this summer project that they always wanted you to go on. And after my sophomore year, it was the first time I went, and I was just, I was just a participant, and the guy who was leading my small group that I was a part of was, was a friend of mine. We, had been in the, we were in the same small group together with, a, with, with a, kind of the staff person that was leading it, but for the summer, he was my leader. And let's just, let's just say I didn't have a great reaction to that, right? I spent, it was a great summer for me, but I spent a lot of that summer really just kind of judging him, right? I just kind of felt like, man, like, if you're going to pick between one of us, it, sh- it should have been me. I mean, I'm a better leader than this guy. I know the Bible better than this guy. I've been a Christian longer than this guy. I mean, and, and, and I just, and I, I just, so I found myself just, every decision that he was making, I'm, I was just criticizing it. You know, but you know, be, me being a, a great Christian of endurance, you know, I just made the best of it that I could. You know, I just, you know, I chose to focus on the positive, and and rather than just being completely um, allowing allowing his mediocre leadership to to wreck my entire summer, right? So then I get back, and um, the the guy who'd been mentoring me throughout the year, you know, he asked me, he's like, "How was your summer?" Well, it was pretty good. I learned a lot, but you know, this guy, I mean, he just wasn't a good leader. I mean, I. I he, he did the best he could, I guess, but, you know, I mean, we, our group was really held back because, I mean, his, his leadership just wasn't very good. And so he's like, okay, and we talked about it some. And Then the next year, I went back, this time as a leader, not just a small group leader, but kind of as a guy who kind of oversees small group leaders. But I wasn't in charge of the project. That was this different guy. And let me tell you, by, by, I mean, it was just it was an unfortunate coincidence. This guy was a terrible leader too, right? He was always asking me to do things that, that, that I didn't think made sense. He he didn't have great discipline. He, was, he wasn't a very good leader. Uh, he, he didn't seem to take an interest in the things that he needed to be focused on. And again, because of my out, outstanding character, I, I persevered uh, through this and his mediocre leadership and did the best I could to kind of salvage the summer. I was the second kind of in, in, in charge, but I wasn't number one. And number one, he was, just, he was just off, right? But I did the best I could. So I get back. This is now after my junior year, starting my senior year, and same guy, the the uh, guy who mentors me, he's like, man, tell me about your summer. You know, man, I, I feel like it was really good. God did a lot. But, man, I mean, just so-and-so, he just wasn't a very good leader. I mean, he was just, he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't do this. It was all these problems. And then this guy, my mentor, his name's Steve, he, he, he said one of the most ridiculous things, uh, it, was, it was absurd, the thing that he said. He, he looked at me and he says, have you ever considered that the problem might be you? And it was at that moment that I realized he wasn't a very good leader either. <laughs> um, I say that uh, half-joking, but at, let's just say at 21 years old, that was really close to my response. I mean, he did not see the incredible points that I was making and the, the, the incredible insight that I had in critiquing the weaknesses of these leadership styles and how obviously that would be a struggle for someone like me. And instead, he's trying to make it out like it's my problem, like I am I'm like too arrogant to lead, like, I, like, I've, I, like I've, I've got some sort of humility problem or something. 
So I, I, I'd say I dismissed what he had to say. And let's just say that that problem continued throughout my 20s. I go on staff with this organization. This one guy is leading me, and he's doing everything wrong. And thankfully, um, he transitions to another role, and this other guy's leading me. But unfortunately for, for me, it's like in a string of what has just been a terrible uh, string of circumstances in my life, for the fourth time now in ministry, the person who's leading me just doesn't have any idea what they're doing. And um, at this point, this guy led me for a few years, and I was just getting really frustrated. And I remember this one meeting that we had. It was him and me and all the other kind of you know, campus leaders from different, from different schools were all together. And he kind of gave this, this speech that I thought was just it was over the top. It was ridiculous, and he had no place giving it. He wasn't the right person to give it. His tone, everything about it was wrong. And so I'm trying to muster up. This is what I think I'm doing. I'm mustering up the courage, right, to do the right thing and to kind of confront him on kind of a, a bad move that he made in this, in this leadership meeting. So the next time he was at my campus, we're sitting there. We, we've been hanging out at my house for a little bit, and then he was about to drive off, and we're hanging out in the driveway talking. I said, man, there's something I want to tell you. And again, in, in my you know, 25-year-old mind, I thought, you know, this has taken a lot of courage to kind of talk to a leader and kind of confront him on something that he did that I feel like he shouldn't have done. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before where you've convinced yourself in the moments leading up to this thing that you're going to say that it's really important that you say it, it's taking a lot of nerve to say it, and you, and, and you finally get it out, and as the words come out of your mouth, you realize, I've, I've, I've made a huge mistake here. The things that I said, the things that I accused him of, I mean, it could only be really taken as an attack on his character. It wasn't a question of what he did in that meeting. It was who he was and his leadership. And you could just see the betrayal all over his face. And he begins to describe back to me the sad shape of an idiot that I was when he first met me and how he had bared with me through a lot of things and how he had to kind of help me through all these things. And basically says, and, and this is what I get in return from you. And he got in his car and he left. And um, I think maybe, I think maybe for the first time, you know, my mind went back to the thing that that mentor had said to me like four years earlier. And it really kind of dawned on me, maybe for the, really for the first time in my life, I I think I am the problem. I'm not, I'm not a victim of unfortunate circumstances that I'm always surrounded by people incapable of leading. I have an arrogance problem. And if I don't do something about this, it's going to be the undoing of me. So we're going to look at a story today in, in 1 Kings about a guy um, who, who, who has a similar, if, if maybe if you can imagine, an even worse arrogant pro, arrogance problem than I did do, am, be. <laughs> and so to kind of catch up, you know, kind of where we were last, we talked about the story of Rahab and Israel after they left Egypt were heading to the promised land. Well, at this, now they have, after, after Jericho falls, they kind of take over most of the land that God has promised to them. And so now they're existing as a country, but not with a government per se, the way that we think of it. They're kind of more ruled by God, and God appoints these judges and, and, and priests and prophets to kind of oversee these different disputes. And God is kind of functioning as their ruler. But after a while, they get tired of that, and they look around and say, man, all these other countries, man, they have these kings that kind of represent them. We should be like them, which is always a bad way to start. We want to be like everybody else. And so they, they go to God's like, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And God's like, I'm your king. It's not what you want. It's like, no, it is what we want. And um, it's like, it's not going to go well for you. You don't understand what kings will do. They will, they will tax you. They will enslave you. They will force you into the army. 
you don't want this. Like, yes, we do. We want to be like everybody else. And so God uh, relents, points a king, and his name is Saul, who for a little while was a decent king, but went off the deep end pretty, pretty quick. Um, in an act of rebellion against God, uh, offered a sacrifice of worship, which was not appropriate for the king, only for a priest. And God says, hey, you're not going to not gonna be able to pass the, the, the kingdom on to your son. I'm going to appoint a new king, which is a name, the person that God appoints to be the next king is a name most of us probably know or have heard of, King David. King David was the second king of Israel. And he was a pretty good king. He, he had, definitely had a heart and passion for God. He was, a great, he was a great leader of the army, had some major failures as a man, a husband, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a dad. And we see that being passed on to generation. He was, he was a bit of a womanizer, had multiple wives, passed that trade on in spades to his son Solomon, who was then the third king, who had 500 wives and concubines, which was ridiculous, and he was an even worse husband and an even worse dad. And it's a really interesting story. Someday we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the life of Solomon. Had this incredible wisdom, was so wise in so many different areas of his life, and an incredible leader in so many ways, but was also a bit of a, of, of a tyrant at times, and, and, a, and a terrible dad, and an awful womanizer. And it's interesting how he could compartmentalize, but that's not today's story. But I bring all that up to say, he passes on some of his worst traits to his son, Rehoboam, who is now the fourth king of Israel. And we pick up the story of Rehoboam in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12 after Solomon has passed away and Rehoboam is looking to be established as the fourth king of Israel. Second king, uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, when he heard this, he returned from Egypt. So Jeroboam, was, he served under, uh, under his dad Solomon and ultimately began to believe that Solomon was not a great king and was too, was too hard on the people and did not want Solomon to be king. And so ultimately uh, Solomon found out about this and he was, he was exiled into Egypt. And so when his son Rehoboam is to be made king, Jeroboam comes back to kind of um, confront Rehoboam and talk to him about what kind of king he's going to be. So verse 3, they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam. Again, very, very similar names. Rehoboam is the, is the king. They went to Rehoboam, who is the king, and said to him, Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? Let's make sure we're tracking with this story. So Rehoboam, who's about to be king, is confronted by Jeroboam, this guy who at one time uh, worked alongside his father, the king. And he bring, kind of gathers all the leaders of Israel and comes to him and says, Man, we want to figure out what kind of king you're going to be. Your, 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 your dad was really rough, and we need you to not be like that. And he says, Well, let me think about it for, th- for three days, and you come back. And he goes to the elders. These people that served alongside his dad as king and says, what do you, what do you think we should do? He's like, man, it's, it's, what they're saying is good, man. If, if you will serve them, 
they'll respond by serving and following you at a deeper level than has been seen here before. This is what you should do. And it says he rejects that advice and instead then goes to kind of his buddies, kind of these other kids that he kind of grew up with or they're all now young adults. And he goes to them and asks them, what do you think I should do? So we pick that up here. Verse 10. The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Now I want to pause right here to make sure we get this. Because sometimes I know, some of, sometimes you guys accuse me, uh, maybe rightly so, that sometimes I look at some of the, the, the more uh, risque things in the Bible and I like to make a big deal out of them, make jokes out of them, right? And I really wanted to do that here, but I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, I don't want to go past it because I think if we just read that as it is, we're going we're gonna to miss what a vulgar, awful thing is, is being said here. Because what, what these guys are saying to him is telling them, it's like, you tell them that your father's finger is bigger than his waist, which is a stupid thing to say and doesn't make any sense. Which, but it's an expression that means something different than that, right? So in other translations, it's translated thigh. In other ones, it's translated loin, leg. Right? So here's what he's saying to them, right? You go tell them that your pinky is bigger than your dad's. What a vulgar, awful thing to say. Oh, I think we know people that still talk like that. We didn't invent talking like that. We didn't, invo- we didn't invent uh, measuring contests, right? We didn't invent... This is something that's been going on for a while. You, this was some gross display of authority and power and sexuality and strength. Look at me. Look at my pinky. And it's awful. I mean, this is the advice that he is getting from his... This is what you need to tell them. So three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said. Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And in that moment, in that moment of idiocy, in that moment of kind of gross, raw power, in that moment, a rebellion begins, led by Jeroboam, where 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel joined together and formed their own kingdom, which began to be known as the kingdom of Israel, leaving uh, Rehoboam in Jerusalem, essentially leading only over his, one, his tribe that he was a part of, the tribe of Judah. And the kingdom of Israel is split in two into the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. And the, and the country is never united again after that. And um, it is split for generations and generations. And David and his family rule in the south and, and there's a different group that is ruling up in the north. And so in this one moment of rejecting sound advice, in this one moment of this... B- rash, um, brutish display of strength and power and authority and privilege. A kingdom is ripped into forever. 
So this is, this is this guy's legacy. What he thought he was going to do in that moment is establish himself as the most powerful king in Israel's history, maybe establish himself as the most powerful king ever. And in fact, what he did, he is now a legacy of essentially the last king of a united Israel and is, and is and an example of, of the destruction of that level of arrogance. And so it was just that one moment. He, this, this, this story could have gone a whole lot of different directions, but what he chose in that moment was to say the things that he did and to do the things that he said he would do to those people, and he lost everything. And while none of us here will ever be king, we find ourselves in situations all the time where we have these moments, these moments in our life that are really kind of these defining moments that determine who we are going to be in different situations. What kind of man, what kind of woman are we? What kind of man and woman are we becoming? And what I would like to suggest this is kind of this, this, this warning, this siren for you. I would like to suggest this, is that one moment of pride can wreck everything. Everything. One moment of pride can wreck everything. One moment where you decide that the rules don't apply to you. One moment where you say that you think that you are above uh, normal decency. One moment where you say because of your privilege, because of your power, because of who you are, I don't have to do what other people have to do. The rules don't particularly apply to me. I can pursue the thing that I want even if it's not right because I deserve it. One moment of that can destroy, can wreck whatever it is that you're trying to build. He's trying to build a kingdom and he destroyed it. For you, it can be your job. For you, it can be your family. It could be your own soul. It can be your character, your reputation. And in one moment, in one moment, you can destroy it. And we see this. I, I think we are, we are seeing a lot more of this now, and there's many things that you could reference. We'll just, for right now, just reference what is known as the Me Too movement. A movement where people are finally feeling the, the, the freedom to speak out against people who have abused them sexually, either, either raping or just inappropriateness or harassment of some kind. And people are finally speaking out of this, and the people who have been doing this are getting just consequences for it. And what has happened over the last year or so is person after person, whether they be a famous actor or a producer or a politician, a business leader, one after another, we're hearing story after story after story of someone who thought that because of their influence, because of their power, because of their fame, because of whatever, that they could do whatever they wanted to other people. And slowly we are seeing, rightfully so, we're seeing, we're seeing these people's careers and reputations being destroyed. Because at some point in their life, they thought, I can get away with it. I'm powerful enough. I'm strong enough. I'm influential enough. I'm rich enough. I can pay these people off. I can do whatever. Nothing will happen to me because of who I am. And again, most of us are not in those kinds of positions of influence. But I do, we believe, I do believe that we all find ourselves in situations where we have a little bit more power than somebody else. We have a little bit more influence than somebody else. We have more resources than somebody else. And who are we going to be in those moments? Rehoboam, in his moment, chose to take his power and his influence and use it against other people. He thought that he was above the standards of, of, of life that God himself had called him to. He had seen his grand, he had heard stories of his grandfather. He had seen his father. 
And he's like, I'm just going to continue to do that. I'm going to live like I am above this all, above all of this. And I'm going to take what is mine or what I believe is mine because I can. And we make decisions like this in relationships that are inappropriate. We make decisions like this with finances and our job where we believe that we can do something or we have the right to do something that we have no right to do. And in that moment of pride and arrogance, what happens is everything that we've tried to build, everything that we say that we want to become can be ruined and wrecked in one moment. And so what we have to do, we have to make sure that we are going to be the kind of people that are honoring to God and to each other and upholding who it is that God has called us to be no matter what the situation is. Because we are going to find ourselves continually in situation after situation where our character is going to be tested in a moment. We're going to be tested in a moment and we're going to have to decide who we are really. So there's a couple of questions that I think that are really important for us to kind of go over. And we're going to ask these questions of ourselves, the kinds of questions, some of which I think Rehoboam tried to answer and just answered them poorly. Some of them he didn't answer at all that are going to help us in these defining moments in our life to not be our own worst enemy. And the first question is this. Why is it that God has blessed you? Why has God blessed you? You may not be a king. You may not be an influential actor or politician or business leader at the level some of these people are. But I guarantee you this. God has blessed you. He has blessed you with influence. He's blessed you with a platform to speak to certain people. He has blessed you with some resources financially. He has blessed you in some way. And the question that we always have to ask ourselves, and I think, honestly, this is one of the most important questions any of us can ask ourselves in our entire lifetime. Why is it that God has blessed you? What is the purpose of the blessing that you have in your life? Whatever resources or influence that you have. And I think even in asking the question, there's a recognition there that my life is not my own. My life actually belongs to God. And the answer to that question is not found in what I want. It's found in who God is. And there's a recognition that first and foremost, I have to submit myself fully to God. My life is not my own. And now God gets to speak into that question. Okay, God, you've blessed me. My life is surrendered to yours. What is the purpose of the blessing that you've given? Well, Rehoboam actually got some pretty decent advice about that from the, from the elders. And in verse 7, they said this, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Basically what they're saying to him is you've been given this incredible position of power and influence. And if instead of using it to oppress them, you use this to provide them with freedom and to serve them and to enrich their lives, you'll see a devotion coming from them that to this point is, it's, it's unheard of. And it says he rejects that advice. And I'm telling you, whatever resources, whatever influence that you have, you need to know that God has given it to you so that you can use it to serve other people. That is exclusive, and this is, this is a theme cover to cover in the Bible. From the very creation of Israel in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you and your nation and your family, I'm going to make you great, but it is with this purpose. So that through this blessing, everybody on the planet, every other family, every other country, every person can be blessed through you. That's the purpose. 
Fast forward several hundred years to Rehoboam, that purpose has not changed. Fast forward several thousand years later, and that purpose has still not changed. The purpose for God's blessing in your life is to take the influence, the resources, and the power and anything that you have and use that to serve somebody else. And so I recognize that in my life, my first and foremost, I am serving God. And then once I recognize that, I say, well, my purpose then after submitting my life fully to God is to take what God has given me and serve other people. And we see this primarily in the life of Jesus. We see in that that's what he did. He came here even though he was at the very top. He gave his life for you and lived like a servant and then ultimately died on the cross to give his life for us so that we can be reconciled with God. So he modeled it. He made it possible for us to do this. And he has set the standard for what our life is supposed to be like. So no matter how small or insignificant you may feel like your influence and your power and your resources are, it does not matter your perception of them. What matters is to whatever degree God has blessed you, the purpose of that blessing is to be a blessing to other people around you. So let's hope, let's hope that this is the kind of mindset that can prevent us from these moments where, like Rehoboam, we have this decision to make and we decide, I'm going to take something that doesn't belong to me because I think that I can. I'm going to take advantage of people because I think that I can. But instead, I'm going to live a life that says, I first submit to God and then I use my life to serve other people. But that's not an easy thing to do. And so what we need is we need good people around us, which leads us kind of to this next question. It's really two questions. To whom are you listening and what advice are you giving? Now, he did a good thing here, Rehoboam. He asked advice. And in fact, at first he asked advice from the right people. He went to these elders and said, Hey, um, what do you think I should do? And and they gave him really good advice. Well, we, we served your... Your dad, and we, we saw the good things he did. We saw the huge mistakes that he made. We saw the way that he, he kind of destroyed some things. He built some things. This is what you need to do. You need to view yourself as a servant of the people. But the problem is he didn't listen to them. But who did he listen to? His idiot friends. These idiot friends that he grew up with, just as privileged as he did, just as stupid as he was, saying to him, Oh, dude, man, you're the king. You can never do whatever. You know what you could tell them? You talk about it, make it. And he's got these idiot friends around him. He's thinking, man, this is great. This is totally what we're going to do. My dad did it, and you saw how rich and powerful he was. If we take it to the next level, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to show them. And we're going to dominate these people. And we're going to be the king. And he listened to these idiots. And in a moment, everything is lost. And so I ask you, who are you listening to? Who are your friends? Now, I want to take the, I'm going to take a step back here. And, and I think we need to have a, a wide range of friends. And it is great. Everybody in here needs to be friends with people who give bad advice. Right? Maybe you be friends with the people who give bad advice so that you can be the one to give them the good advice. Right? So I'm not saying we only want to be friends with people who are good people. We, the, the, the people who aren't good people need good friends too. The question is who are you listening to? Where do you get wisdom? Are you going to the right people? And the people in your life, let's just say that 
aren't the good people, that, are, that people are giving the bad advice? Are you giving them good advice? Or are you the idiot friend? Oh, dude, it sounds like great, man. No one will ever know. Your wife will never find out. Your husband will never know. Your boss won't know. You'll be able to have everything and it won't matter. And even if you get caught, you can say this and you can say this and it'll be fine and you'll get away with it. Look at, look at what happened with your dad and your granddad. Man, they were awesome. You don't have to read very hard into the story of David or Solomon to realize they didn't get away with anything. And their life was not awesome. But there's this perception out there that we see these other people getting away with things. And, and, and they're taking something that doesn't belong to them and they seem to be prospering. I, I deserve mine. I, need to, I, I deserve more than what I have. And so I'm going to take what little I have and I'm going to use that to get myself even more. And I have this mindset that I deserve more than what I have and my mindset is to take more than what is mine. And then I surround myself with these idiots who will tell me that that's okay and together we're ruining our lives. I don't know if you guys think like this, but sometimes I'm driving, like say, on a, on a two-lane road, you know, something like, like a highway, but it's only two lanes. And you're going 55 miles an hour, which is really fast on some of these narrow roads in Arkansas, right? So you're going really fast, and at you are people going just as fast. And you're going, it just seems very normal. But every now and then I'll think, how close am I to death? Like all the time, right? That's kind of morbid, it's kind of weird, I don't necessarily recommend it, right? But think about it, like I am one just kind of, from me or them, and in an instant I'm dead. And it really is kind of this scary thing to be driving this big vehicle at this high speed and all this weight coming this way and coming at you. And, 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 and my ability to, to, that, that my life depends on my ability to stay focused, that's trouble. And much less who these people are, right? It's scary. And this, this may sound overstated to some of you, but forget about driving a car. All of life is that way. You are one bad decision away from ruining everything. One moment in which we think that we can take something that does not really belong to us. Well, it's just sitting there. They'll never figure it out. I can cover my tracks. You are one inappropriate text message away from ruining your life. One moment of flirting, one moment of weakness on a business trip. One stupid small act. And and it could all be lost. And so we have to make a decision that we are going to commit individually and together as a people that we are first and foremost going to recognize that our lives are submitted fully to God. And that God has given me everything that I have not not to enrich myself but to bless the world. And then I'm going to surround myself with people and I'm going to become a person who will encourage those around me to be better. Now as always, there are probably some of us here who are on the other side of that decision that's kind of wrecked us. 
And as always, we want to just put out there the overwhelming grace and forgiveness of the God of the universe and His Son, Jesus Christ. And don't want anybody here to feel that God is not the God of second chances. But at the same time, I think it's good for us to make a decision right now that we're not ever going to try to test the limits of God's ability to give another chance. And that we are going to live away in moment to moment, especially in these key moments in our life, where we're going to say, I'm going to demonstrate by who I surround myself and the decisions I make that I am someone who is first and foremost submitted to God and view my life as a blessed life to bless others. So as we respond, I just encourage you. Encourage God, I encourage you to pray and ask God to surround you with the right people, to give you the right perspective. The prayer team would love to pray with you if you need some encouragement there. There's prayer candles, there's communion, you can pray at the cross, you can stay where you are and worship. We have an opportunity to give, something that we like to emphasize around here because it's incredibly important. It's us joining resources together to do awesome things in our community and our world, to, to help each other. But it's also an incredible statement to God to say, God, I recognize why you've given me what you have. You have given me this so that I can bless the world. And so we give and we serve and we live a life in such a way to communicate to God, to ourselves and to the world, my life is not my own. This life is not about what I can take. This life is about what I can give.